0: You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Today we are continuing in a teaching series that we're calling Increase. And we're talking about how if we want to see increase in our lives in 2023, in this new year, whatever area we want to see increase, we got to do a couple things. Number one, we need to increase Jesus in that area. And we also need to decrease ourselves. And it all comes from our key verse, which is John 3 30. John the Baptist said this, and he was making a statement, but man, this is such a great principle to live our life by. And John said this in John 3 30, he said, He, meaning Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. He's saying, I have to decrease. I've got to humble myself. That's really what decrease means. I'm going to humble myself. And this principle talks about how when we humble ourselves, we're saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, not my opinion, but the truth of your word be done. I'm going to exalt your word. I'm going to exalt your truth, your will, and not my own. And when we do that, the blessing of this principle is simply this. When we humble ourselves and we exalt Jesus, we open the door for God, for Jesus to work more fully in every area of our lives. And we've talked about this, and I've said this statement before, but I'm going to say it again because I think it's really important. Everyone wants increase, right? Everyone wants increase in, in, in their finances, in their marriage, in, in their careers. Everyone wants increase uh, in their health, in their family. Everyone wants increase. But the truth is this, few are willing to decrease in order to obtain it. There's a lot of people that want to increase, but few people are willing to say, you know what? I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to put my opinions aside. I'm going to put my, my, my dreams aside, my will aside, and I'm going to exalt whatever God has for me in this area of my life. I'm going to follow his word in this area of my life. And in doing so, when we do that, when we embrace the decreasing and increasing of him, what happens is we open the door for God to actually work in our lives. So, Each part of this series, we're going and we're talking about certain areas of our life. Last week, we talked about finances. This week, we're talking about another big one, which is marriage. How do we have increase in our marriage? How do we have increase in our marriage? Here's what we're going to do today. Today, we're going to talk about a few different things. i got a lot of content that I'm going to cover. So I'm going to encourage you today, take notes, lean in, share this with somebody. Make sure you might have to listen to this a few times because I'm going to cover a lot today, but lean into this. And I promise you, if you do what God's word says to do in your marriage and you increase God's word in your marriage, you're going to see increase in your marriage, the health of it, uh, the relational side of it, in every part of your marriage, you're going to see increase. But here's the thing. There's, I know there's probably several people or a lot of people watching this right now and you say, well, Pastor Dan, I'm not married. That's okay. If you're a young person and you hope to be married someday, this is a great message for you. You can learn a lot from this. It's going to help you steer clear of some people that aren't going to honor God's word. If you're engaged even better, hey, listen to this message, engage, lean into it, because there's some stuff in here that we're going to talk about. And if you're engaged to someone who's not willing to decrease themselves and in- increase God's word, then maybe you need to have a conversation. Maybe you need to prayerfully consider your relationship. Maybe you're married today and you'd say, man, our marriage is great. I would encourage you. I'm going to show you some stuff today that's going to, that's going to be brand new for you. God's going to speak to, me through, or to you through me today, and it's going to challenge you. Maybe your, your marriage is in a really tough place guess what? You are not here by accident. I have some truth from God's word that if you will apply it and you and your spouse will go to work seeking God, I promise you, you're going to see increase in your marriage. So you ready? Let's get into it. Point number one is this. Godly marriage reflects the Trinity. Godly marriage reflects the Trinity. I'm going to lay a foundation here. And based off of this foundation of point number one, everything else will grow. So out of this foundation, we need to understand what is God's design for marriage? First, let's talk about what is the Trinity? If godly marriage reflects the Trinity, what's the Trinity? Well, we serve a God who is triune, meaning this: he is three in one. And I brought a, a graphic here I'm going to show you. It's, it shows you this way. We have a God who is three in one, three parts, but he is one God. He is God the Father. Scripture shows us that he is God the Son, which is Jesus, and he's also God the Holy Spirit. Some people like to say, well, the Holy Spirit's kind of the weird uncle of the group. No, he is included in the Trinity. He is vital to the Trinity. He is three in one. And here's what's amazing about the Trinity is that each person in the trinity glorifies the other they're always they're always if you want to look at it this way they're always almost decreasing themselves and increasing someone else in the trinity They're never saying, look at me, look at how great I am. I do more than everyone else. They're always glorifying the other members. In fact, the Holy Spirit, what he does is he only says, look at Jesus. Remember what Jesus said. Remember what Jesus did. Let me remind you of his word. He's only ever pointing to Jesus. That's John 14. Jesus, what did he do? He He said, I only say and do what the Father tells me to do. When Jesus was here on this earth, he says, I'm only here to do and to say what God the Father tells me and to bring Him glory. I'm here so that you will look at Him. That's John 5. Uh, the Father uh, in heaven, uh, God the Father, what does He do? He uses the Holy Spirit to minister to His people. It's through His Spirit, like we see in Acts, Acts chapter 2, it's through His Spirit that He is intimate with you, that He speaks to you, that He guides you. And so what happens is, I have this the graphic up there with all of these arrows, and they're always pointing towards someone else they're glorifying someone else in the trinity and that's the almost the beautiful mystery if you will because it is tough to wrap your mind around how how can god be three pieces but he's just one how does all that work it is tough to understand it is tough to to wrap your mind around but once again that's why it takes some faith If we could figure out every aspect of God, God would just be a math problem that we can solve and we would belittle him to what we can contain in our small human mind. And so I don't know about you, but I don't want to serve a God that I can contain and solve like a math problem. I want to serve a God who is so much bigger and greater and higher than I am that he can guide me and direct me and show me what he has for my life that is so much better than what I would want for my life. Here's one way to look at this. One way to look at it is kind of like a tricycle right with a tricycle you have one tire in the front two tires in the back and you could take off a tire but that's not going to make it a bicycle right if you take off the front tire uh, you're going to be dragging you're not going to be able to steer right you may have some some wheels on the back but you're not going to be going where you want to go if you take off one of the back tires what's going to happen is you're going to be leaning you're going to be dragging still and you could try to balance on two but that tricycle is not made to be a bicycle It takes all three for the tricycle to go to its fullest potential. It takes all three tires going together in their proper position. And in doing so, one's not necessarily greater than the other, but they all play a vital role in making the tricycle. You can't take one off and experience uh, all that God has for you. And so that's how I like to look at parts of the Trinity and what we're going to talk about today. Specifically, we'll come back to that tricycle example but here's what we're going to do, okay? So that we kind of have an idea of the Trinity. So now let's look at what a godly marriage is according to Scripture. We're going to look at the very beginning in Genesis. We're going to look at the Old Testament there. And we're going to look at the New Testament. What does God's Word say about marriage? What does God's Word say about our roles in marriage? And how has He designed it to work? In order to compare godly marriage to the Trinity, I want you, as I read through Scripture, these next few parts, I want you to listen for three words. Okay. We serve a God who is three in one. Okay. We serve uh, Jesus who is what? He's the head of the church. So that's the second word I want you to listen for is head. We serve a God who is our helper in the Holy Spirit. And as I read through these next passages, I want you to listen for those three words. One, head, and Holy Spirit. As I said, Jesus is called what? The head of the church. That's Colossians 1. Uh, the Holy Spirit is our helper. That's John 14 and we serve what a God who is three in one all right so listen for those three words I'll have them highlighted for you so you can see it one head and helper let's start in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 this is when God is making Adam and, and Eve and let's start in verse 18 it says this then the Lord God said it is not good for man uh, that man should be alone I will make him a helper fit for him what he's, he's making Adam and he's like It ain't good for this guy to be wandering around by himself, right? He needs somebody with him. He needs a helper with him. Verse 20, the man gave names, this is Adam, Adam gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And this is where the cheesy pastor joke always comes in, right? God brings Eve to to Adam and he says, "Whoa, man." Right? That's where we get the word woman. That's not what happened, but There's the joke for you for today, okay? Sorry it was so cheesy. Let's go to verse 24. It says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So in here we saw helper and we saw the word one. Let me stop here for a second. This is something I think oftentimes we overlook, but this is really good insight. God made woman from man's ribs, right? From the side of Adam. This is a great symbol that reminds us that we are called to be co-laborers together, right? God didn't make Eve from Adam's head to reign above him and to control him all the days of his life. She didn't make, uh, him, uh, God didn't make Eve from Adam's head, nor did he make Eve from Adam's feet to be trampled on or to be ruled over. What did he do? He took Eve from his side as a reminder that we walk together through this life. I think that's such a great picture of how God did that. He could have used a number of different body parts. He could have used something else besides Adam, but what did he do? He said, no, this is how I'm going to do it. And I think it's great symbolism for what God has for us in our marriage. So that's kind of the Old Testament. That's the establishing of the marriage covenant. Now let's look at the New Testament. Let's go to Ephesians 5, verse 22. It says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, remember what we're we looking for. We're looking for the word one, helper and head. Here we see the word head right here. Christ, as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse twenty-five. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish here this gives us a great picture of what it looks like to serve one another in a marriage covenant but what are we what were we looking for let me go back to how a godly marriage is like the trinity we were looking for the word one the word head and the word helper What do we serve? We serve a God who is three in one, three in one. We serve a God who provides us a helper in the Holy Spirit and a God who gives us an example of leadership as the head of the church. God sets the example for those three things, how to be three in one, how to be a helper, how to be a leader as the head of the church. But here's what I want to do is I want to show you the picture of the Trinity we were just looking at. God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now I want to replace it with God's design for marriage. We're going to replace that picture with God's design for marriage. Here we see God. God is a vital part of the marriage covenant. That's why when we get married, we have a minister. And what does the minister say? As a representative of God in the marriage covenant, I now pronounce you man and wife. What is he saying? I'm a part of this, not me personally, but as a representative of God. God is a part of our marriage and should be a part of our marriage what do we see next? We see that the wife is called the helper. Eve was Adam's helper. Why? Because God said, it ain't good for this guy to be left alone, right? He, he needs some help. He needs some guidance. He needs somebody to walk alongside him, not to boss him around, not to be trampled on under his feet, but to walk next to him hand in hand as they go through this life. And then Ephesians 5 says, wives, submit to your husbands as the what? As the head of the home, as the leadership of the home, just as what Christ is the head of the church. So you can see in the Trinity, we have three parts that make up one God. In our marriage, what do we have? God has designed it in a, in a way to reflect the Trinity. Now, in no way am I saying that wives are the Holy Spirit personally, no way am I saying that husbands are Jesus personally. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's just a picture of how these work together. In fact, that's what I want to talk about next is how do these, how do we make this work, right? How do we work in our roles according to scripture? Because honestly, this could get messy. Um, And it's 2023. People could be offended whenever you use the word submit, whenever you use some of these kind of strong language, this very black and white language, people could be offended. It could get messy. How do we do it? I'm going to remind you of this. Point number two is God's way is the best way. God's way is the best way. When we when we're going to decrease ourselves and increase God in our marriage. If we want marriage to increase and our relationships to increase, if I'm going to increase him, I have to acknowledge my way is not the best way. God's way is the best way. That is humbling myself, decreasing myself. So if we want increase in our marriage, we need to increase Jesus and decrease ourselves. In order to do that, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at God's word as the guide To a healthy God honoring marriage. Look, marriage was God's idea. So he has the playbook. It's just like when you buy something brand new, you buy a new appliance, and you're like, how does this thing work? You need a booklet to show you this is how it works, this is how you turn it on, this is how you problem solve, this is how you fix things that go wrong. That's what we need, and that's what God's Word is for us when it comes to everything in our life, but specifically for marriage like we're talking about today. So let's start with it. Husbands, I'm going to start with you first. Husbands, according to God's Word, you are to love, to serve, and to lead as the head of the home. It's not my opinion. Let's look at God's Word again. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and He gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that he might be holy and without blemish. Okay, let's talk about this for a second. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How does Christ love the church? For me, I can pick out three specific things. There's a lot of different ways that uh, Christ loves his church, loves his people. But I would say this, through sacrifice through service, and through presence. Let me break that down really quick. So, husbands, how are you to love your spouse? It's the same way through sacrifice, through service, and through presence. The first is sacrifice. What did Jesus do? Jesus laid down his life for the church. He laid down something for the church. In the same way, husbands must sacrifice their own lives. I'm not talking literally taking their own life, but they are to sacrifice hobbies, want want to's and conveniences what for their spouse why because that's what jesus did for you that's how he loved the church he was willing to sacrifice something if anything if everything for his bride the church and we are called to do the same as the husbands sacrifice some of the things in my life for my spouse the second way is this through service jesus what did he do he washed feet He gave his time to people even when he was exhausted. He served by faith, hoping that we would receive his service and sacrifice. I think that's a really big point. He served by faith, hoping that we would receive his service and his sacrifice. So husbands, what are we called to do? We must serve by faith, meaning we should serve even if there's no guarantee of getting something in return. Right. This is what happens. This is what creeps into marriage is that we come in and we say, well, why should I do that for her when she was not going to give me anything in return? She's not being nice to me. She's not being sweet to me. She's not doing things for me. She's not serving me. Why should I serve her? And I would challenge that thinking and say that is not Christ like behavior and it's not Christ like thinking, because what did Jesus do for every person in this world? In fact, you you could raise the same question that you would raise towards your spouse. Why should I serve her when she's not going to do anything for me? Why would Jesus die for you when you would continually fall short in sin? You would turn your back on him. You would not trust him in a time of need. That you would fail to acknowledge and glorify him when he would answer a prayer. Why would Jesus die for you? It's pretty simple. Because he loved you enough to serve you no matter what. And so sometimes I got to serve by faith, even when I think, man, I'm not getting anything in return. What would Jesus do in the situation? Well, Jesus served me by faith, by going to the cross, by sacrificing everything, even though I would let him down more often than I would like to admit. In some ways, that's the same way that husbands, we are called to serve our spouses, our wives. So through sacrifice, I got to lay some stuff down. Through service, even when it's not convenient. The last one, I think this is really big for our age and for, for this year is presence. Through presence. Jesus is always present in good times, in bad times, in fun times, and in hard times. He is always present. He is always there, always available. Husbands, listen to me. You have to be physically present, mentally present, financially present emotionally present sexually present relationally present it doesn't mean hear me in this it doesn't mean that after a long day of work i get to come home go to the back room and play video games for hours while my wife prepares dinner and takes care of the kids that i haven't seen all day that's not what i'm talking about here that is not being present That's not service, uh, serving, that's not sacrificing, okay? What does scripture say? Scripture says, when I was a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Men, let me challenge you today. Husbands, let me challenge you and pastor you today. You got to grow up and put away childish things if you're going to lead well and be the man that God has called you to be. Does that mean you can never play video games? Does that mean you can't go play a round of golf? Does that mean you can't have hobbies? That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this, I have known men who have neglected their families, who have failed to raise their kids because they were at home playing video games when their wife needed their help raising their kids, when their wife needed love and affection, they were neglecting them for their hobby or for whatever they wanted to do at an unhealthy level. doesn't mean you can't have fun. doesn't mean you can't have hobbies, but I am saying this. If it is ever coming between you and your spouse or it's affecting how you are operating in your God-given role, it's time to lay it down And grow up and become a man so you can be all that God has called you to be. You must be present with your wife and with your kids. You should be the most present person in your family because Jesus is always present and available for you. And guess what? Biblically he is your example. He is my example as a husband. So I've got to work at getting better at being present. That means putting down my phone, being available when I'm at home. I am available. I'm listening. I'm engaging. I'm looking my spouse in the eye. I am a part and I'm willing to to get on the floor and play with my kids. I am present, available, and ready. A lot of times I talk to Christian men and they'll say this, "Well, I'm just praying for that, you know, that Proverbs 31 woman. I read Proverbs 31. I think, well, my spouse isn't like that. My wife's not like that. And I I heard this quote, and I think this is so good, that men, if you want a Proverbs 31 woman, you need to be an Ephesians 5 man. If you want a Proverbs 31 woman, you must first be an Ephesians 5 man. Meaning this, I, I, I will remind you of this. You, not your wife. Men, hear me in this. You, not your wife. We'll have to answer to God someday about how you led or didn't lead your family. I think this is what happens many times as men. We we just say, well, they just make better decisions, me. They're stronger than me. They're whatever. And so we pawn off our responsibility of leadership onto our spouse, which is not how God has designed it to be. We're supposed to work together. But men, you are the head of the home. Guess what? Someday when when your spouse meets Jesus face to face, they're not going to answer for how you didn't lead your home or how you led your home. You will have to answer for that. It does work the opposite way. Uh, You know wives you do have to allow your husband to lead especially when he's operating in a godly manner He's doing what's best what he thinks is best believes is best that god is showing him for your family You do need to honor him because you will answer for not allowing him to lead but man i'm speaking to you Specifically you will have to answer for how you led or you didn't lead your family someday when you get to heaven You see jesus face to face So you love and you lead your family like jesus loves and leads the church how through sacrifice, i got to lay some stuff down from time to time. Through service, even when it's convenient, I will serve by faith, even if I don't get anything in return. And number three, through presence, I am ready, available, and ready to engage and be a part of what's happening in my family and in my home. One last thing for the men. Men, you will be held responsible for what culture you build and allow to be built in your home, what sin you allow in your home, what you allow on your kids' TVs and your kids' TV shows, what you allow them to watch, if it's against God's word, you will be held accountable for that. And so this is why God makes it clear. Look, there's an order to thanks and you have a job to do. Lead and lead well, just like Jesus leads and leads well. Now, let me talk to the wives. Wives, according to scripture, what do we see? You're called to help and to submit to their husbands. All right. Now, before we get offended here or anything like that, please don't. I'm just going to read Scripture, and I'm going to break down exactly what this word means because it's really not an offensive thing at all. Ephesians 5, verse 22 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. All right? submit that's the the word that so many people get upset about and understandably so i mean especially in today's world right like how dare you especially me being a a male pastor how dare you say that a wife should submit to her husband right 2023 that's how you get canceled but this is just god's word to submit means to recognize that it's basic form it means to recognize someone that has a legitimate authority over you why do I submit to a police officer when they pull me over? Because I know they have authority over me. Why do I submit to uh, my boss at work? Because I know he's got authority over me. He can affect my life in, in a certain way. Submission, though, it does, not mean, it does not mean inferior. It does not mean less important. And it does not mean silence. That's the other thing. It doesn't mean, hey, you need to submit. Just go stand in the corner, shut up, and don't ever speak your opinion. Don't ever give me your advice. No, that is actually against God's word because God's word says that our spouse, our wife is to be our helper. How can our, our, our helper help us if they can't speak or if we're not listening when they speak? Husbands, that's another point for you. Listen whenever your wives speak. Um, submission, submission. That's the word that we're looking at, submission. It shows us, if you break that word down, submission, it reminds us that there is a mission for the Christian marriage. As your marriage, it has a mission. It is to obey God and it is to glorify God at its basic form. That is your mission as a married couple. What does submission mean? Submission means that you're putting oneself under that mission and you're not exalting your individual desires or your individual will above the mission. What is the mission? To exalt God, to obey his word, to glorify God and glorify Jesus in everything we do. Now, that is, I'm going to submit, I'm going to put myself under that mission. I'm not going to exalt my will or my desires. Why? Because that's exactly what we're, we're talking about in this entire series. Increase. If I'm going to see increase, God's blessing in any area of my life, what do I have to do? Decrease. Decrease. Sub. I'm going to get under the mission. I'm going to get behind it. And I'm going to help in any way that I can. Let me bring some clarity, though, to these verses. In the verses there in Ephesians 5, it says, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Again, let me make this very clear. It does not mean that the husband is himself God. That is not biblically what we're talking about at all. But here's what that that phrasing shows us, even in the original language. It shows us the respect and the honor that a wife is to give her husband in his role when he's operating as a godly leader, leading his home, that she's to honor that and to respect that. Now, again, a lot of husbands, a lot of times, especially in the modern world, they, they, uh, they pass that off or pawn that off onto their spouse and say, well, you know what? I'm just kind of a passive guy. I'm a behind-the-scenes guy. But God is calling you to lead your home and to lead your home well. Um, here's how I would compare this. How do, we, how do we really see how this works? In our reflection of the Trinity and the godly marriage, the husband is a reflection as the priest of the home or the head of the home. He's the reflection of our high priest, which is Jesus. The helper, our wife, is the reflection of the helper, our Holy Spirit. Again, we're not them. We are not God, but we're, we're a reflection of that. So here's the question. How does the Holy Spirit treat Jesus? And how does Jesus treat the Holy Spirit? Does one say that they're better than the other? Does the one always say, well, look at me. I'm the best. Don't listen to them. No, they work hand in hand. In fact, John 16, 13 says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. This is the Holy Spirit. And he will not speak on his own authority. This is a great example of a reflection of what we look like in our marriage covenant. The Holy Spirit, he speaks not in his own authority, but under authority. What? Submission. He is under the mission, supporting it under authority. And because of that, what does he bring? Wisdom and truth. And can I tell you, that should be how it is in a godly marriage. That's how it is. And I know for Leslie and I, Leslie is always such a sounding board for me. When I come in, I'm frustrated with something. I'm confused about something going on in my life. I will bring it to her, and she is a great voice of wisdom and a great voice of truth. Sometimes I'll be considering something, and she'll say, "No, that's 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 dumb. You shouldn't do that." And here's why. And I'm like, "Oh, I didn't even see it from that perspective." Other times I'll come in and I'll say, "Hey, man, I'm just discouraged," and she will bring truth of God's word, and she will encourage me in God's word. That's how this works. It's just like a reflection of the Holy Spirit, a helper of truth of wisdom, of speaking truth in, in wisdom. The Holy Spirit honors Jesus. But what does Jesus do? Look, Jesus did no ministry until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. How, do you remember that? The, the greatest miracles, the greatest ministry in Jesus' life was done with the help of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he did nothing without the help of the Holy Spirit. He, when he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he received power, and he was able to step into ministry to his fullest potential. So what does Jesus do? He acknowledges that I have a helper, which is God's spirit working through me, helping me every step of the way. And our marriages are, should be the same way. Remember, let's go back to the tricycle. Imagine that picture. I'll show it again here. Imagine the graphic. We have God at the top and the husband and the wife at the bottom here. Now imagine that those are tricycle wheels. This is how it should operate. You have Jesus. You have God who is the front. He is the front tire of the tricycle. And what's he doing? He is steering us. He's directing us. He's guiding us through our life and saying, follow me. I have a mission for you here. I have purpose for you here. We're going to go here. What's our job though? Is one back wheel more important than the other? No, <laughs> it's not. If I remove one of the back wheels, am I going to be in trouble? Absolutely. If I have one back wheel that is locked up, that is frozen, that it's not doing and operating to its fullest potential, am I going to be in trouble? Yes. Let me go back to the front. If I take off God, the front wheel from our marriage, and we don't include God in any of our decision making, we're not talking to God, we're not praying together, we don't have God in our home, is my tricycle gonna have a tough time going through this life? Absolutely. You better believe it will. What do we need? All three parts to make a healthy marriage go to its fullest potential. I need God at the front steering us, guiding us, directing us. I need the two back wheels. Is one more important than the other? No, but they do have their individual roles. And when they do their roles um, together, when they operate in their potential, what happens? Now we can go where God needs us to go. I'm going to wrap up here. I have two more points for you. I'm going to remind you of this. Point number three is this. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. So we know that a godly marriage reflects the Trinity. Godly marriage reflects the Trinity. And when we we reflect the Trinity, we are blessed when we acknowledge that God's way is the best way. But here's what happens. We got to remind ourselves that your spouse is not your enemy. Too many times we turn the target on our spouse when maybe there's something else at work in our marriage. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits In the heavenly places. Look, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Your your spouse is not your enemy. Now, let me stop here for a second, give some clarity. There are always things each of us can work on to get better in this life, right? This is what I'm not talking about uh, as a husband. Well, I forgot to I forgot to take out the trash and you know, hey, I'm not your enemy, okay, I forgot to take out the trash, the the devil's just attacking our marriage, okay, he's just coming after me, he's just causing me to forget to take out the trash, he's causing me to overlook that pile of trash, to take it out without ever being asked to do it, that rotten devil, he's just coming after us. No, it, you need to get better at being disciplined at looking for ways to serve your spouse if you're supposed to be taken out the trash, if that's your job and that's your responsibility in your home. Uh, it's not, well, I got together with my friends and, you know, I just started telling my whole group of friends, what an idiot you are as a spouse. Man, that rotten devil, he's just trying to attack our marriage. No, maybe we're sabotaging our marriage because life and death are in the power of the tongue and we're speaking death over our spouse in front of other people. Think about it again, let's go back to the, the opportunity of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Would they ever badmouth one another? No, they glorify one another. Now if you have serious concerns with your spouse, do you need to talk in private with a pastor, with a counselor, with somebody, maybe somebody that's in your life, um, a, a family member that you can trust that's going to give you godly wisdom, not just to talk to badmouth your spouse, to talk to figure out how we can decrease ourselves both spouses, and how we can increase Jesus in our marriage. Each, it's each spouse's responsibility to live in their God-given role. We can't pawn that off on one another or blame it on the devil. That's not what I'm talking about. However, the devil hates godly marriage because, as we just learned, it is literally created in the image of God. God is three in one. Our marriages work best when it's three in one. Us God working together in this covenant relationship. And so I, I, would, I would prove it to you this way. When did the devil show up in the story of mankind? After marriage was established. When did the devil show up in the story of mankind? After marriage was established. Because, and here's the thing, because of the devil's deceit, what happened? Sin entered the world. And the curse of sin tries to bring division in Marriages, But we have to remember, our spouse is not our enemy. Sometimes we're fighting against things that are brought in by sin. And the devil will try to divide us so he can conquer us. He's going to try to divide us, cause division, so that we have constant strife. We are working against things that the sin has brought into this world. Let me remind you, there's a curse that comes with sin. We see it in Genesis 3, verse 16. This is the curse for the woman, specifically for Eve. Uh, God says this, Your desire shall be your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, first, this may not sound like a curse, right? Is it a bad thing for me to desire my husband? That doesn't sound bad. But here's when we look into it, the original language, the word desire is the same word in the original language used in Genesis 4-7 to describe the desire of sin to master over Cain. It's the same word used to desire, sin, how it wanted to master over Cain. So here's what we're seeing. Because of the curse of sin, Eve would have to fight a desire to master her husband. That's the curse. She would have to fight a desire to master her husband, a desire that works against God's ordained order for the home. But isn't this what we see in the world today, right? A few weeks ago, my son Gavin and I were watching uh, a football game. And about halftime, I began to realize every commercial on TV portrayed men, every husband, every dad, and every commercial was a babbling buffoon, who was an idiot, who was a moron, who was lacking masculinity, who didn't even barely look like a man. And he was being belittled because he was a man and they were belittling his leadership. I mean, it was amazing. Even the, even the truck commercials, you know, when I was growing up in the nineties, all the truck commercials were some like big burly guy driving the truck through the mud, slinging mud everywhere. And now uh, there's not, the, the, the men are sitting in the passenger seat and the woman's driving. Is there anything wrong with a woman driving? No, hear my heart in this but what does the enemy want to do It's part of a sinful curse it wants to take men out of their god-given role and punish them and say you are not good enough you're not worthy enough it's bad to be a godly manly man which jesus was a manly man he was masculine it's bad to be that don't do that don't act the way god has created you to act you see when we invite sin into the world we invite sin into our marriage we are battling a curse and that's what eve had to battle She had to battle a desire to master her husband. It was part of it. But it's also true for the the husband, uh, Adam, in Genesis 3.17. It says this, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. In toil. Here's what's interesting. Adam worked before the curse. Before sin came into the world, Adam had a job to do. He was working, but it was all joy to him. It was all joy to him. Now it says he will struggle to find joy in his work. And isn't this what we see again today? It's the curse of sin when we allow it to run free in our lives. How many husbands, how many men struggle with their purpose and with finding joy in their work? Why? It's a part of the curse of sin. The good news is for both of these, for for what we see for women and for men, Jesus came to free us from the curse of sin. So we don't have to battle that. But... I want to remind you, your spouse is not your enemy. You have an enemy who hates your godly marriage, especially when you operate in your God-given roles. Why? Because it's a, it reminds him, it's a reflection of the Trinity. It reminds him of how beautiful and how holy and how powerful God is. And he hates to see it go to work because he knows, just like a tricycle, when every wheel is in its place and it's doing its job, guess what? It can go extremely far for the kingdom of God. And so he's going to do everything he can to lock up a wheel, to remove a wheel, to divide a wheel so that you can't do in your life what God has called you to do. So remember, there's, all things, there's things we can all get better at, but your spouse is not your enemy. And point number four is this. I'll wrap up with this. I know I've thrown a lot at you today. Hopefully you're staying with me. I have to watch this again. But point number four is this. I want to leave you with this encouragement. Okay, The greatest marriage is two servants in love. How do we have a great marriage? The greatest marriage, I'll tell you this, I'll show you in scripture, it's two servants in love. When we, my, Leslie and I do premarital counseling with people before we, you know, minister their weddings, this is something we always talk about. It's the theme of the whole thing serve one another. If you will both be servants, your marriage, the first year of marriage doesn't have to be the hardest year. The first year of marriage doesn't have to be hell. Serve each other, look out for each other, go out of your way to serve each other. And if you'll do that, I promise you God will bless your marriage. Let me show you from scripture, Jesus in Matthew 20, talking to his disciples, he says this, whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man, even as Jesus came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you want a great marriage. Hopefully you do. Do you want a great marriage? What does scripture say? Become a servant. Become a servant. Serve God first. Serve your spouse second. Serve your kids third and serve everything else after that. Everybody else is after that. But if you will do those three things in that order, God first, spouse second, your kids third God will move in your marriage. He will bring increase in your marriage, health in your marriage, love in your marriage, and you will see the goodness of God in your relationship. If you want to be a better spouse, if you want to be a better servant, what do we have to do? Become a better follower of Jesus. How do I, how do I, it's not natural for me to want to go out of my way to, to, to help my spouse or to do those extra things around the house or to, 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 you know, I don't think of certain ways. Look, look, if you want to be a better servant, Be a better follower of Jesus because it's just like in the natural. When you spend a lot of time with someone, what happens? You become more and more alike, right? It's the same way with Jesus. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you become like Jesus. And here's what's amazing. If you've met Jesus personally, you know this to be true. If you met Jesus, the, the Jesus of the Bible, the true Jesus, everyone that knows Jesus personally really loves to serve Jesus. Everyone that knows Jesus personally loves to serve Jesus. People that don't love to serve Jesus, people that don't love to follow after Christ, it's because they don't know God. They don't know His love. They have never really experienced it. Maybe they got uh, God misrepresented to them by the church or by a pastor or by something in their past, by a parent. Look, and when you know Jesus personally, you love to serve Him. And when we become more like Jesus as spouses, as husband and wife, We will love to serve each other more. And just like the Trinity works to glorify one another, and it's this beautiful circle that takes place, so it can be in our marriages. Look, I'm not here to promote myself. I'm here to serve my spouse and to glorify God in everything that I do. And when I have another spouse who's doing the same thing, serving me and glorifying God, guess what? We can go further than we ever could on our own. Just like a tricycle, we have God steering us, guiding us, directing us. We're back here. We're both putting in effort, effort, working together, not, not making it all about me and not about you. No, we're working together, and in doing so, God can move. So, how do we see increase in our marriage? We've got to remember that a godly marriage reflects the Trinity, right? It's just like the tricycle. God's way is the best way. It may not be popular to say some of those words that we talked about earlier in God's word about where we, should, where we should fit in our home, in our responsibilities, but God's way is the best way. He's the one that made marriage. So if you want to see the best marriage, let's go to the book that created it all. Our spouse is not our enemy. We can all get better at some things, but maybe there's something in your life that you need to start praying against that's coming after your spouse. That's a spiritual battle that you need to, to attack and to get after rather than getting after your spouse. And then number four, the greatest marriage is two servants in love. And so here's what I'm going to do. As I, before I pray, and I know I threw a lot at you today. Before I pray, here's your action step and your reflection question for today. The action and reflection is this. Ask your spouse, what's one thing I can do to serve you better this week? And then most importantly, do it. Ask your spouse today. Even if they're not sitting there watching this with you today, text them right now and say, hey, what's one thing I can do to serve you better this week? and then do it. Follow through, and then guess what? Do it the next week. Begin to practice serving one another, and God will increase your marriage as you decrease yourselves. I promise you that. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is a guidebook to us. It shows us how to operate a blessed life, how to experience your goodness here on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, today, I pray over the word that you've given us. I pray for increase in our marriages. I pray against division. I bind an enemy that is coming against our godly marriages. I say, get out in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for transparency. I pray for uh, hope. I pray for understanding. Lord, I pray for strength. I pray for boldness. And Holy Spirit, as our helper, I ask that you would help us do the will of our father in heaven would you help us have a heart like Jesus to serve our spouse well would you help us have a heart like Jesus that loves to represent him to the world around us and Lord I thank you that our marriages at Abide church will be so bright and shine so bright in this world that people will ask us that are far from you people that don't know you that are lost they will ask us what's different how do you how do you guys stay in love like that and we will remind them of your word how your word is the best guide to our marriages and how when we serve one another and represent you well, you can honor and you can work and you can bring increase in our lives. Lord, we thank you for it. We ask you to help us and we expect great things. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.